Hey guys, welcome to episode 23 of the Grad Life podcast. With me, I've got Ailish Delaney, who is a business designer in Fjord within Accenture's famous dock building. Uh, so Ailish, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, first thing I kind of came across or, or, or thought when um, you were introduced was the idea of a business designer. I genuinely never heard of it as a profession and I didn't. Re- it sounded awesome. Um, and didn't really know a how you get to be one, b what they do, and see where they kind of go. So could you just give us a, an overview of business design as a process, as a profession, um, and maybe a bit on the educational side as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so business design um, is quite a broad discipline, and it's a really new one. So traditionally, um, these were very two very separate things so you had business on one side and you had design on another and I guess business is kind of around like services processes profit and loss and that type of thing typically design on the other hand is more around experiences experimentation or having the user at the center of everything and so um I guess Tim Brown from a consultancy called IDEO started to make design thinking a really widespread thing in around 2009 I think right Um, and basically what it is is well how can I explain okay it's basically you're solving business problems using design thinking methods okay Okay. Um, and so you're trying to approach typical business problems with a different perspective or a different mindset yeah and so the type of skills that you need to have would be you'd need to be quite strategic obviously go to communication so you almost become a translator between this business and design side of things Um, and so it's this idea of now how can we change organizations using design which has never really been done until recently it's a very new discipline yeah sure and that 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 is design thinking yeah and there's so much said about it and my audience probably gets it but if you can dumb it down for me what exactly is design design thinking? thinking Um, so I, at first I thought it was I thought business design and design thinking was the idea of designing a whole business model Yeah. but now my interpretation of it is that it's designing a business from the point of view of the customer yeah. and designing a customer's experience with a business or designing their interactions with the business is yeah. that good like is that too simple or is no no that's a good description it's it's hard to define because it's more of a mindset that you have right more of an approach to problem solving okay um and so i guess there's a lot of different ways you can apply it and you can use it across product service like any type of design really um and then you can go into legacy organizations and like basically disrupt whole like business models so some examples might be of disruptive business models would be like the uber business yeah. model or the airbnb one for example which are recent or spotify any of those types of things yeah so they'd most likely have been done with business designers um, okay so, so like you can say yeah 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 and all almost reverse engineered or worked backward from the customer's experience with them yeah okay so uber airbnb these completely disruptive business models and approach to providing a certain service or product yeah they were born of design thinking exactly okay and i guess as well this translation piece is really important because we have to sort of orchestrate like people from lots of different teams So we need to be able to switch our language really quickly. So if we're talking to a client and we're pitching, you have to have a certain way of speaking. Sure. If you're talking to UX or service designers, you've got to use other ways of working. And if you're using kind of traditional, like I suppose consultants, that would be in more traditional roles. Yeah. You kind of have to work with them in other ways. Um, And recently now a lot, we've been working with like technical teams. Right. And so you have to learn all their acronyms. And when they say this, they mean that, which we all identify as this and that. Yeah, there'd be so many. So it's basically like aligning everyone as well and then spotting like new opportunities. Um, Because you have all these snippets of information from all these different people, you have this really unique dimension to how you think. Yeah. Interesting. And most of us have like very broad backgrounds. So you don't necessarily have to study business design in college? No. Okay. So, for example, I studied um, product design in college. Right. 
and then I went on to do content design. Yeah, and um, so you did product design in DIT. In DIT, How yeah. many years did that take? That was four years. Okay. Yeah, um, so it's like a Bachelor of Science. Right. Um, so it's quite um, flexible yeah. in terms of a degree. Because it, uh, I quite I struggled quite a bit with picking a course when I was like filling out my CAO. I'm sure a lot of you listening will be in the same situation. Yeah. But basically, I always liked creative subjects, um, and I was probably more inclined to be artistic. But I also always loved like entrepreneurship. Yeah. And the weird thing is, I never really studied business when I was younger because I thought like, oh no, I'm a creative or this. I don't know. I just I, I'm not sure. But then I would always find myself like doing lots of jobs or working loads and I always just was trying to think of new ideas. I used to be obsessed with like Dragon's Den. I don't know. Right, if you okay, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like any of this stuff. But I never thought like you could really I didn't even know how to do that. Yeah. So I looked up this course product design um, and I thought this is great because it's got a nice mix of things. It's got like kind of research, so yeah. design driven research, which was really interesting. And the methodology is amazing. And then there was things like design, manufacturing and assembly. Um, and then marketing, entrepreneurship. So it's basically designing and launching products all by yourself. Right. As one person. Yeah. Now, obviously, you can do it in teams and stuff like that. But that's the idea. You create a product from start to end. Yeah, right. In a holistic type of a way. Jeez, what a business so education. It was very cool. Um. And so when I left, I realized that it was very hard to get a job in traditional product design, especially in Ireland. Right. Um, unless you want to go into things like medical device design um, or very kind of niche areas. Yeah. And I also found that I was less interested in the kind of engineering side of things and more interested in technology and communication. I was going to ask about that. So like when you're studying product design, you're doing... Yeah. FMCG goods, you're doing yeah. med medical goods and pacemakers, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then you're probably doing tech. Are you doing like Airbnb interfaces and Uber interfaces and like basically tech interfaces as well? Or Well, when I was studying it, we didn't do any digital product design. Right, so okay. we didn't do any kind of wireframes or screens or yeah, okay, that stuff. Right. However, we were doing like processes like customer journeys, blueprints and, and that type of thing. I'm not yeah. sure if you're familiar. Yeah, yeah, customer are. journeys are so fascinating to work on. Yeah. Mindsets, that type of thing. So yeah. um, I guess I had the same process but just a different medium. Right, okay. Um, and then, so I, I realized that when I left college, I was kind of lacking this digital side. Um, and I started to um, kind of look around at opportunities and they were all digital yeah. type, types of things. And then I noticed that like it was becoming like a lot more intelligent in terms of product design. So it was moving from like just regular items to smart devices. Yeah. Like Nest, Thermostat, Fitbit. Yeah, watches. Internet of Things would be fascinating exactly. here for sure. Yeah. So I realized for my thesis before I went into fourth year, I needed to have some kind of expertise in code. Right. Or some type of digital or software thing. Yeah. So I, I learned how to code some basic things. I wasn't amazing, but I, I did it. Um, that was one of my like challenges on my bucket list. So, right. And then after I did that, I decided to go to a creative um, digital creative agency, Clickworks. Right, okay. They're like a partner company with an advertising agency called Chemistry. And that was your grad job? Yeah. And so if you look at that job. partnership, then you got Clickworks and Chemistry. Yeah. Chemistry are doing the artistic, more creative, maybe front-end side. Is that right? They were more, so these, um, I, I suppose Clickworks is more digital. Right. Like kind of websites um, and okay, like platforms. Yeah. And chemistry would have been like advertisements on TV, billboard campaigns. Right. Um, so more um, of the, I suppose, outward advertising. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thing, yeah, like yeah. short films, that, that type of thing. Yeah. But I was based mainly in, in Clickworks. Um, what great experience to get exposed to both the digital side and maybe yeah. what sounds like the content side as well. It was really interesting. So that's kind of where I started to touch on content design. I didn't even know what that was. And I wasn't classified as a content designer when I was there. I, I still hadn't realized what it was. Is content design different to content creation? Uh, yes. Right. What's the difference? I guess they feed into each other. It kind of bleeds. But um, content design is basically, okay, a lot of people think it's copywriting. 
so like writing blogs or writing oh, press right, yeah. releases. That would be creation. Exactly. As as term, right. But actually, it's more around strategy. So you kind of base it off like a content strategy where you're looking at things like imagery, videos, and text. But that's not really the main thing. It is obviously a big part. But it's more like how can you... Okay, for example, if you're doing content design on a website, it's the the priority is like how to let people find the information as quickly yeah. and as easily as they can. So that would feed into like website architecture and then the actual message that you want them to take away and the experience and the brand personality that you want to convey. Yeah. So it's kind of a storytelling. Yeah, type of sure. Thing. It sounds class. It sounds really cool. I've never even thought about this whole window of, of work before. Yeah. And I've got a couple of questions. One this all would be very research-driven. Yeah. So if you're doing a content strategy, perfect example for the website, yeah. what does a user see and do when she first enters the site and how can we optimize that kind of user experience through the site to get the output that we want? Exactly. To get the right answer to that question, which there probably is a right answer, yeah. you need to go off and do the research on your target audience and how they interact with websites. So it is a very research-intensive industry or, or uh, game or business as well yeah surely. exactly I really like research so when I was in Clickworks I was actually research and design that was my role right but I suppose a good example of content design would be like the gov.uk government website right where they have like hundreds and hundreds of sources but they've created this really unique kind of clean design system where they just use a certain amount of colors all the information is very easy to access and um, all the links are like really well curated and like categorized yeah and they've made quite a dull site into something that's accessible and used by millions of people yeah, every day it's been awarded by so many like really design like initiatives and right it's kind of like the benchmark that other countries follow now they they kind of use that as the reference where they want theirs to be i suppose so yeah okay and they would have like some really interesting roles there. So if you're looking to move outside of Dublin when you graduate, um, it's it's quite an interesting organization in terms of research and digital and yeah. just actual meaningful work, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So I think they're great. And I'm just thinking, like again, on the research stuff, it would be my favorite subject in college was consumer buyer behavior. Okay. And it would have been exactly aligned with probably content design or business design in some way. And yeah. the best way I can, uh, the, the one story or uh, case study or reference or whatever you call it yeah. that defined this course for me was this study that um, it, you'd know it. I can't remember what it's called, but you definitely know better than I do. It's about they used to ring a bell, then feed a dog. And okay. when they fed the dog, the dog would salivate. It would kind of be ready to eat. Okay. And eventually the dog started salivating when they'd only heard the bell. Okay. Or then they paired it back the journey a bit, and when they heard the guy's footsteps coming up to the bell, then he started salivating because he knew then the bell would ring, and he knew that that meant the food was coming. And that okay. was how they kind of measured a, a user's journey of reactions along the the sort of process of getting to what they want. Yeah, that that's was cool. terrible English, but you no, no, <laughs> you know I understand. What I mean? It's kind of behavioral economics. Yes. And nudge theories. And um, they do it actually a lot on websites like, for example, I don't know, Amazon. Let's right. Just throw it out oh, they'd, so, be, they'd have to be all over. Yeah. Yeah. You have like products in tiles, like, you know, just kind of like a catalog boxes with product images in them. Yeah. And say you're looking at three of them in a row side by side. They'll have like a really cheap product on the left and then they'll have like a medium priced product in the middle and then a really high end expensive one on the right so right. it's like a hoover you're looking for yeah they'll have like three brands so they know that like you'll say oh that one's quite cheap on the left the one on the right's too expensive so i'll go with this one it's a good option it's a safe option right okay and they and use so all this framing lots of ways of, of doing that yeah kind of a thing. so Very that, interesting. like i never really did that but i find that amazing like so well amazing because it can be used in good ways and bad ways, I don't yeah. know. But for me, I'd love to learn more about it. Like, well, this is this is the very stuff that's behind how we interact with all of the brands that we interact with yeah. every day. How do they, they design the apps we use? How they, and you talk about, say, content design. I'm sure part of that is barely, but like the push notifications and how that strategy works or the emails that we get once a week and how that strategy works. Yeah. It is behind everything. 
that we're doing every day and we don't yeah. kind of realize it. We, we haven't been awoken to it. Well, it's becoming now more and more important since we have like voice activation. Yeah. So brands are now relying on like the voice and tone of, of their brand. So for example, again, if we use Amazon and you order like a packet of batteries off Amazon, like it automatically just orders the Amazon brand. Um, so when when brands are kind of battling to sell their products or yeah. to prioritize their products, they need to have this unique voice or unique tone or way of engaging with their customers. Yeah. So it's really challenging for, yeah. for them. This is like the newest hurdle that they have to face. But Google have an interesting approach. So they basically trained like the Google Home device on really human language. So they got um, writers from Pixar who had written like famous movies. And so they got them to write scripts that like the device was trained on. Yeah. Um, and so if you actually listen, if you compare like Siri to like Alexa to Google, you'll notice like a very clear difference yeah. between across the three of them. I haven't seen um, Siri and Alexa. I've, n- I've never yeah. used Siri and I haven't seen Alexa, but I've seen the intro to the, the Google Home thing on a video that went around uh, LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about because yeah. I think they the guy demoed how they were they could book a restaurant. Oh yeah, that was. In Did the you see IO that video? Thing. Yeah, and how yeah. they could book a restaurant and um, the home or the 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 machine learning thing was there saying like, yeah man, just a sec, and there's like, oh chill, it'll be fine, just a sec, and yeah. they like, yeah, no worries, and it was really relaxed language. And like, yes, it will be ready now. Yeah, exactly. So they they invested like huge amounts over the past couple of years on like actually like they've done all kinds of things to make so firstly it's how it actually speaks and how it reads like so natural language processing so converting like basically text to voice or voice to text so um if i suppose if their device reads a sentence it will know when to pause if there's a dash or there's like a semicolon or yeah. If it's quite a long sentence and the word and is there, it will kind of take a slight break and it will right. kind of gets into a rhythm almost. Unreal. Whereas some of the other voice activation ones are quite freaky and creepy, actually. Some of them are very robotic. Yeah. Um, so that's like a clear difference. Um, they invested in content design. Right. And so people argue, oh, what is content design? Do you need it? But it's actually like you're not going to really have a choice. You're going to have to have content designers yeah. now. Well, to be honest, up until, literally up until now, this is massively educational for me, never mind for them. Yeah. Um, I always thought that design thinking was just a kind of sexy term thrown around. It didn't really mean anything. Like, that was my understanding in my yeah. ignorance. But now we're seeing you telling us exactly what it means and that it is, Jesus, an awesome place to be working. Yeah. We know why cool. you worked there. You worked there because... You were creative, but you also liked business, and you didn't necessarily want to sacrifice one for the, one pursuit for the other. Exactly. And they do seem like they have, you know, it is one or the other. They, you wouldn't imagine at the age of eighteen them having much overlap, creativity and commerce. Yeah. But this is exactly where they do yeah. overlap. So, like, how would someone get into it? A, if they're in high school and they're looking to fill out the CAO, what colleges are doing it, mm-hmm. and then B, what, I guess, what companies are hiring for it. And actually, see if you're already on a different track. How yeah. can you maybe move your weave your way into this? So, A, B, C in chronological order. Go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can't really like. I'm not exactly an expert. Like I'm not a guru on sure. how to tell you what to study. Um, but it depends. So there's like several different strands within design. Like for example, I work with eight types of designers right. at this point in time. Um, so it really depends what you want. Like if you're into technology, maybe content design isn't the thing for you, but you maybe you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm not creative. I couldn't be good enough, but everyone, like we're all as creative as each other. And yeah. It's actually not particularly creative that you have to be. It's more strategic. Right. Okay. If you ask me anyway. Um, so if you're more kind of tech driven and you're interested in like AI or IoT or blockchain or whatever, there is one type of design that you could do, which is like maybe data design. Data design. Yeah, okay. there's or like creative technology. Um, and they're they're kind of lots of software engineering backgrounds and they're into building prototypes um, that are really interactive and really engaging. So right. like if you like making things and you think I could learn a bit of code, mm. maybe that's one for you. If you're into more like communication, branding, storytelling, I would say content or business design yeah. would be a good one. Um visual design too, you could argue, because we're all telling a story. Sure. 
And then there's other ones like service designers, interaction designers, where you're looking again, we're all looking at the user in the center, but like this is kind of, they look at journeys and processes and the whole system and how everything works. Yeah. So we're all like bleeding into each other basically. Yeah. Um, so it, that, that's kind of the first thing, like what type of design do you want to do? Right. And then from there, it's it's like, for example, if you want to be a content designer, obviously it helps if you're good at English. Sure. But you could study journalism, yeah, but you could also study marketing, you could study business. Mm. It, like, it kind of depends because it covers such a broad yeah. range of things. And in a creative role or a creative team like these, yeah. diversity would be very much appreciated. So coming from an interesting exactly. background would help. Exactly. So that's actually an advantage if you have a different... So I'd say if you're kind of wondering what to do, or you're already in a job, you've started your first job and you're thinking, this is not what I wanted, mm. help, like this is not what I signed up for. What you can do is just try like a couple of online courses. So like, if you're interested in like trying something out, it's a good way to not spend a lot of money before committing to like a master's or another job, for yeah. example. And so... Uh, do you know of any courses that people can do? There's the Irish Institute of Design. Yeah, but right? they're more kind of like a community for like members in okay. design and connecting people up. Right. So if you're interested in more like um, tech side of things, I suppose you could go on to like Udacity. Okay. And they have some really interesting things on like um, courses that are not available in universities yet. So if right. you want to learn about how to design self-driving cars... For example, that, that you can do a course online about that, but these Mad. are all developed with like experts from Google and like yeah, big, okay. big companies, so they're really legit. Um, and if you're interested in more, maybe like design thinking, service design, business design, you could look up. There's a really great um company called Hyper Island, mm. and they develop their courses with industry experts. And every year they change based on like trends and what's happening. So right. actually, sometimes you're better doing smaller online courses because they're actually more up to date yeah sure especially for newer types of roles that are emerging yeah that can often be the case and even if you're in college do, looking at these things outside exactly. of it can give as you like the a edge booster, as well. or even if you have a job like i still do these types of courses just to like keep yeah. myself like up to date or whatever yeah or you can do you can study like interaction design or product design or industrial Right. You can study more of a business marketing, like commerce. Yeah, um, yeah. It really depends. So yeah, okay. It's so hard diversity to, is welcome, though. Yeah, diversity right. is pretty much an advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, are there any influencers in the game of design? And, and by that, like you say, someone you follow on um, LinkedIn or something like that. So I or have Google Alerts. I often have Google Alerts for Travis Kalanick or many disruptive yeah. Um, entrepreneurs and just kind of see what they're up to and that sort of thing yeah. is there anyone within the design space that you have looked to or that you have become aware of yeah i think they're see mainly i i follow like medium articles right, okay. so i on medium follow categories as opposed to individual people right so that's kind of like one thing for me because i sometimes don't like just following one person yeah fair. Then suddenly you hear another one you're like oh that's totally changed my perspective um, yeah and so I always find like maybe two or three really interesting um, companies and I just look at their resources like, and do it that way because I'm interested in how they communicate messaging in more than like an article. So yeah. their whole attitude and their whole approach would be what would kind of influence me. And that gives you context for the article as well. So it's, the article isn't their whole strategy, yeah. you know? Or yeah. like their Instagram channel. Like right. what are they doing? What are they up to? Or what are they saying on Twitter? Um, so I kind of like connect a lot of their activities if you want yeah right um, i think i really like what space 10 are doing so they're um kind of a, a lab an experimental lab they're a branch off ikea right and so they do these really interesting things on like ai and just um the future of food and yeah okay that type of thing if you're interested in like business design um frog are a really interesting company and ideo right they're kind of big yeah, names, I, I do. I've heard of them. But if you're going to be working in business design in Ireland, the place to be seems to be uh, the Accenture doc. Yeah. That's pretty fair to say. I think so. Well, again, it's hard to tell because you could have a business designer in an advertising agency, like yeah. working with a creative strategist. Yeah, like okay. They'll bounce off each other really well. Yeah. Or you can have a business designer in your own startup in your own house. Like, um, it depends. But yeah, I guess in the doc it's great because... I'm kind of exposed to different disciplines and different pillars. So for that's how business designers thrive. Like, like 
it's variety, I suppose. Right. Um, so we've kind of got like three pillars in the doc. So we've got like designers, developers, and then domain expertise. And under that domain expertise, we could have people who are experts in AI, IoT, like any technology related things. But you also have experts in like healthcare and pharma, or you've got experts in travel. So it's really, really exciting. Yeah. So I've been in there on a tour. Yeah. What what do they do in there? What do you like? It is I know it's a hub for design thinking within Accenture. Yeah. But say if you and I don't know what you're allowed to say about clients, etc. And obviously don't don't go over. But um, a client comes to you with what an issue or an issue to an existing business or an idea for a new business, and they want you to kind of design it for them or. What way does an engagement with the client work in there? Yeah, again, sorry, I'm giving you no straight answers here. But it's kind of, there's a different, like, a variety of ways you can come into the doc. So, um, first of all, it was kind of built as a type of an ecosystem. um, So that, like, startup culture is kind of, I suppose, the groundwork of what it was built on. Right. Um, And so having mixed teams, like, we don't have our own desks or anything. It's kind of like a hot desk policy. So you're always moving around. And every time you go onto a new project, you move to, for example, a different floor or a different space or whatever. Um, So collaboration is, like, the key thing about the doc. Right. And then you have clients who come in just to see the place to learn about how they can make their organizations more like that. Okay. So entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, they come in to learn about that. So that would be a cultural yeah. um, um, engagement or yeah. uh, con- consultation. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, or you'll have them coming in just to actually learn about the building because it's a smart building. So we've got like a couple of sensors and doing interesting things around that. Yeah. So maybe more like maybe if you're into manufacturing you might be coming in learning how are they connecting these things up and what are they doing there so there's that kind of learning from the actual shell of the building and the technology in it and then they have like i suppose in terms of client engagement a lot of our work is done for experimental purposes so we're kind of got um innovation funds and stuff to sort of launch our own initiatives right Um, so they might come in and they might say, like, I've got this very particular issue that I want fixed using yeah. this particular technology. Or else they might just come in and say, like, I'm fear- like I'm afraid that in five years my whole business will be disrupted and it will become extinct. Okay, a bit dramatic, but, you know, how can, how can you help me? So, like, you kind of have narrow-focused questions or these kind of open-ended blue sky types yeah. of things. And if they um, come in and say, I'm worried I'm going to be extinct, you guys yeah. then go off and do the research both on industry and on competition but then yeah. on direction of technology as well within that space maybe yeah yeah, yeah. and right. then you kind of make some prototypes and trial things out with them and it becomes right. like a whole journey um so you build your relationship up in that way like throughout a couple of engagements and um, rather than them just kind of going hi what's up <laughs> so it's more like they you're it learning from each practical. other and like we're learning from them too yeah okay yeah. yeah but surely that's a big part of the job that would be developing prototypes and doing the research around them and that sort of stuff yeah um there's a lot a lot of different things happening in there yeah again it kind of depends what pillar you're in so in terms of like design i suppose I, i'd naturally be swayed more to the prototyping and and the kind of blueprints and that type of thing yeah um, but equally, if you're in the tech pillar, you're you're interested to get some demos up and running. Yeah. So I think it's really what you make it. It's kind of not a playground, but it would be a good place to go um, after graduating because you get exposed to so many different things. Right. And so if you're still a little bit unsure about what exactly it is that you want to do, you might come in as one type of a designer, but you'll... Or kind of I don't know I keep saying design sorry you might come in as one type of a graduate right but you'll be trying so many different things that by the end you'll be like this complete hybrid yeah yeah that's brilliant experience for a grad to get such diversity in experience and diversity in exposure as well you know yeah because like if you come in you just get pigeonholed into one thing you say okay I don't like this but I don't know what I do like because I haven't seen anything else yeah whereas Um, when you actually get to look at all these say different industries technologies internet things versus artificial intelligence whatever it might be and work with people from a diverse range of backgrounds. That would actually be very, very useful. Yeah. Do they hire many grads, the doc? Yeah, they do. Um, at the moment, we've got like um, interns coming in. Now, I think most of our interns are from Ireland, although we do have like about over 30 nationalities in, right, in okay. there at the moment. So it's very like broad. Um, but mainly, I think most of our grads or our, sorry, our interns are Irish, um, not Irish, sorry, living in Ireland. 
Um, but they, I don't know if they have grad programs in the dock, to be honest. I know Accenture do grad programs. Right. But I think a couple of them get to come over, um, depending. I think it changes. I'm not actually 100% sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, they, they can keep up with what, what's going on anyway. Yeah, on like Twitter or whatever. They're always yeah. updating things. So, yeah. yeah, I would say I would recommend having a look even at just some of the roles being advertised, even if you know you're not qualified for them yet. Right. Like you might only still be in like second or third year of college, but... If you start looking at the roles, you'll start to understand what they want in, in people. Yeah, um, sure. And so it might help you choose what to major in or what modules to pick. Well, you've already given them a huge head start with the idea of the courses and that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. That would be very useful to anyone applying for it. Yeah, and uh, then the, like, the other big thing is like that personality-based hiring. Yeah. Where they're... Um, so that would be one thing I'd recommend doing, like trying to learn a little bit more about where your natural strengths are. Sure. Um, but also asking other people because sometimes you're surprised at what you're actually good at because it just comes so yeah. like, fluidly to you oh, that you don't, even, you don't even realize like you yeah. have a really valuable skill and you don't sell that. Yeah, I, I um, was I was subject to it, and that's it's for that reason as I kind of mentioned to you that I'm yeah. going to be doing um, that's what grad life is going to be driven by. It's going to be a machine learning. Um, recruitment platform that's based off of that sort of stuff. So I think like um, that is literally the future because as well. Um, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've well. got a counting on it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any shares? I will <laughs> no, but even when they're um, kind of getting teams together and stuff, they try and actually look at the different types of personalities. Mm. Um, but when they're hiring you, um, it's really, even just for yourself to know what you're actually good at. Mm. Um, I, you can get like a free personality test on 16personalities.com, yeah. I think it is. Are they the ones that give you, say, ENFP or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Myers-Briggs. And then so they tell you, oh, like, you're this type of personality with a bunch of letters. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. But then they kind of give you examples of famous people or your tendencies and of your characteristics. Yeah. And obviously, they can't predict it entirely. But then you read some of the stuff and you're like, this kind of is actually making sense. So well, I, it all made sense until, um, or maybe it made more sense. I was matched with Captain Jack Sparrow and Joker. (laughs) That's pretty alarming. That's a bit worrying. (laughs) Well, yeah, they are. And you read through the results and they are, um, they can be uncanny. They can almost be frightening how accurate they are. And Um, they tell you like, so I was in, I think I was a protagonist. There's only like 2%. So they can even give you down to the percentage. In the yeah. world, there's 2% Obama and Oprah like you. And you're, oh, you're the people delighted. about the people. And I was like, oh, I love it. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, obviously I was going along with that. But yeah. it's really interesting. It's even it's just a bit of a laugh. Just oh, to it see is. What you it's, get. it's great. I, I got... Um, I got was my team? Yeah, it was just my team. It was my floor. A lot of people on the floor, though, um, on, in Google to do it. They all loved it. Like It's yeah. a great, great thing to try out. A bit of fun. Yeah. Um, you ended up in the dock almost by accident. Like you didn't strategize to get there. You went, so you worked with Clickworks and you left there after, yeah. was it a bit more than a year? It was like about, I'd say a year and a half. Right. And so at that point I started um, to actually, so when you're working in advertising, I guess the hours can be quite long. and. Um, sure, particularly on the creative side rather than the digital side, yeah. Yeah, and so you're kind of like, you become very good at like um, selling things and storytelling and it's amazing like really good at communication but then there was a point where I kind of started to ask myself okay what what impact am I actually making Mm. and I know it sounds cheesy but I was just like I was getting sick of it to be honest um but I learned so much and I got I had some really great mentors and I learned a lot about like process and methodology and stuff so Mm. it was great in that and like just practice good good practice but in terms of like the actual impact that you're making like you kind of look like I was looking back at the year and a half and I was like what did I actually do that I can be like super proud of because for my thesis I did like a really human type of a social project right for like firefighters and so I, I was like really into that and then I was like okay I think I want to go into human maybe not human rights but like there was something in it that I was like I need to do I suppose something a little bit more rewarding. Sure. Um, and so I was like, I followed this company Fjord for like ages, like they were like my heroes. Right. And then I found out that they were coming to Dublin. And so, where were they based before? So they were based. They have like thirty studios around the globe, basically. Okay. So like, um, Helsinki, like San Francisco, Berlin, like London, New York, everywhere, like right. anywhere really. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, happy to move you know I'll do this and then I heard they were coming to Dublin and I was like ah no they couldn't be yeah. no way they're not like no what are they doing in Dublin and then I realized that they were becoming a part of this new like building the dock 
um, under Accenture. So they moved for Accenture. They didn't move independently and just have their own setup in Dublin. No, no. So okay. they're they're kind of so Accenture Interactive acquired Fjord. Right. Um, I think it was. Um, a few years ago but I actually remember when this came out but what exactly were Fjord yeah. doing beforehand so Fjord was set up in like I think 2001 and they were just uh, basically a traditional kind of service design type of a design studio small like right. they were in London I think there's probably 30 people or whatever and then um, in 2013 they were acquired by Accenture Interactive right. because they started they had actually they were one of the first people to have business designers Okay. A creative agency to have like business designers. Yeah. And so um, they were acquired by Accenture Interactive because they felt they would be a really complementary blend or fit. Right. Uh, and then that's kind of when this whole design thinking explosion happened. Um, and companies started, corporations started to buy these smaller boutique design studios yeah. to kind of embed that culture in, in their company or their organization. And then now... There's over a thousand designers working in Fjord across the globe. Unreal. Yeah. So there wasn't any sort of, you didn't go through any cultural shift from working just for Fjord to working for Fjord Accenture? No, they were already They were already as there. As one kind of. Right, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Worth. Jeez, it is. <laughs> it's a fascinating um, kind of industry and, and you yeah. know, area to work in. It's amazing. It's yeah. so interesting, like. It's so different every day as well. So I always kind of struggle when people say, what do you actually do? And I was like, going to ask no. that. What do you do every day? Yeah. It really, like, really, really depends on, so as I was saying earlier, the type of client engagement, so the types of problems that they're coming in with. But it's mainly all done around kind of, for me anyway, I love the research part. Right. And this kind of scouting for opportunities and um, just trying new methods and working with different people yeah because yeah. i guess every day is an educational process because you're yeah. literally doing research try uh trial and error based testing yeah and like sometimes you're so confused because you really don't know what what the solution is going to be yeah and you just have to trust the process and it's a bit scary sometimes because yeah. you're like okay what are we actually going to give them uh, um but eventually it all clicks into place and I can imagine it being a hugely valuable body of knowledge that you have after a couple of years doing this because you have spent X amount of years thinking about the consumer, what they want, yeah. and how what they want has changed over the duration of that time. Yeah. So you have a good idea of where it's going. Yeah. And you can take that to any business or a startup or whatever it is that you want to get involved in. Yeah. That's a valuable body of knowledge, way of thinking that you can offer. And also, it's really strange, but you work in like a different industry pretty much every every yeah. cycle that you do. And so, like, you might be doing banking one minute, like healthcare another minute, like I don't know, oil the next minute. Like, there's people doing like deliveries. And, like, I can't really talk about too, it too much, sure. but like, there's basically you can become experts in such random niche things you can go that's what's great about it you go in on the first day of the project and you're like what are these acronyms what's this thing what's happening here and then like at the end of a couple of weeks you literally know every single yeah. thing about that company or that industry yeah and you actually become like a guru in it um that and so unreal. sometimes like patterns start to emerge and you you might get like two banking projects mm. a couple of weeks apart but you start to actually build up this really unique kind of database yeah. of information yeah and it's also really good because sometimes you start connecting or identifying competitors which people in that industry never even thought or considered yeah. would be a competitor. So you kind of have this like radar. I don't really know how to explain it. Yeah, but no, you're quite I, like you're very on the ball. You can probably extrapolate predictions on where you think industries are going. You can see if there's going to be an overlap. Yeah, or yeah. like make these kind of connections um, across Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, different what would you recommend things. to someone then, before we jump into quick fires? what would you recommend yeah. to someone uh, if they were thinking about going into this? Into design? Into design, yeah. Um, I think what you have to do is become quite confident in yourself, obviously, and then the process. Because sometimes, as I was saying, you're kind of wondering what is actually going to happen. Like, how are we going to turn this research into something tangible? Sure. Like, it's great having all this research and cool, unique insights. But then, like, how does that actually generate revenue or, like, some kind of a unique proposition? Yeah. And so you have to, you have to be kind of really careful that you make that connection. 
Right. Sometimes and that it end isn't all highfalutin thinking or... Yeah. Yeah, right. Or just like a lot of knowledge that you you couldn't really convert into anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that doesn't really help anyone. Okay. Um, and then I think you have to just... I think you have to be very good at pack- packaging everything all up at the end and kind of building that story around it. And, and communicating it concisely. Yeah, and also justifying like certain things. So... You don't want to get into arguments, but you have to be confident and say, like, we definitely took this route because we based it on X, Y, and Z, and, mm. like, here's the legitimate reasons. We didn't just get creative. Like, we didn't just go into a room and get creative for two days. Yeah. Or, you know, like, there's a, a full-blown process to this, and it's actually very strategic and like, yeah. very precise. And then I think as well, if you can start looking at technology in terms of, like, data as well, and that can help you like back up your arguments. This is a data-driven insight, or sure, you know, this customer is like that this now, but in two years, mm. they're going to move to this mindset, or they're going to move to this thing, or they'll have that issue or this this need. And so, like, once you gr- like obtain a customer, you have to obviously keep them and have like ongoing engagement with them and build that relationship over over and over again. Yeah, relive it with them. So yeah, I guess it's like. A whole evolution yeah there's a lot there okie doke and um, jumping into <laughs> no jumping into quick fires and no. getting real deep now okay um let's start off what would be a change that you would wish to see in the world um okay so this one i don't i don't really have one answer to again either but i think like if we could start to realize the impact um of of our actions a little bit more like in good ways and bad ways I think like some of the things we do are amazing and we never give ourselves like recognition for it. And then other times you kind of wonder, oh, if we all keep doing this thing, like what is the world going to look like in 50 years? Or, and are you talking about, say, environmentals and that side of things? Yeah, but even like technology and ethics and like right. um, there's a lot of uncertainty around um, some of these new technologies emerging. And yeah. so it, it's interesting. I guess it's more just like thinking about more than yourself and like the bigger impact that things will have sure um that would probably be what i would say Mm. i was kind of i was actually thinking about this recently but more in relation to the referendum that just went past and that sort of thing and yeah without kind of leaning one way or the other i was just thinking that i was observing how other people were thinking yeah i'm thinking about looking at this and just making decisions based on how it would affect them directly rather than ideals what what ideals it serves and there were multiple ideals being thrown around with that particular argument, but I, mean, I just mean in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bringing it back into technology then, I mean, the one I'm guessing you're talking about is artificial intelligence. And yeah. it serves us very well. But in terms of the ideal of completely outsourcing the human brain, the ideal of let's get to a point where we can literally just do nothing and have our, everything delivered to us or done for us or whatever. Yeah. Um, the ideal of developing technologies for advancement's sake rather than putting that resource into serving other ideals like if there's trillions of dollars spent a year on around the world on tech development and trillions of dollars needed on basic human uh requirements in in other areas there those ideals are quite distorted i have thought yeah Um, like i think ai is amazing and i don't actually think it's going to take over the world or anything like that i i think like all this robot sci-fi type things like i think it's gonna complement us but only if we work with it and we don't try to kind of battle it so i think it's really going to augment our lives but the question is you have to choose where those augmentations occur so you want them in like industry for example like healthcare if you're detecting tumors or cancer or something like Mm. that you don't necessarily need it for every single miniature task like okay it's handy to have on your messenger app but like is it necessary all the time basically yeah Yeah. do you need to plug in ai to everything and then like the data as well it's kind of like okay you want to be sort of getting to know customers and trying to pick up on their habits and so you can kind of improve the service over time or customize it or personalize it based on their needs but there's kind of a difference between personalization and kind of monitoring in a sort of invasive way. And so where do you draw the line sure. there? I think that's quite interesting too. Yeah. Um, and then I think in terms of where technology is great is all this like open source technology that's becoming available. 
to anyone in the world and so people who could never afford to go to college for example can now actually become just as qualified as people yeah. who have gone to prestigious colleges oh too. it's amazing um in, yeah. in more ways than it is worrying but just the ways in which it is worrying need to be kind of watched and yeah they can really scale up if they're not yeah exactly i suppose it depends on who who you're surrounded by maybe. yeah yeah I yeah don't know. very true no that's a uh, geez good answer um, something you wish you did in college? Definitely like some kind of an Erasmus or the J1. Did you not do J1? No. I didn't. Right, okay. Oh, I'll regret it for life. Um, <laughs> it's I probably good it. for your health. All I no. can say based on my experience is that it would have been good for your health. Not yeah, but I would definitely do that, especially because like, it's only valid for, isn't it, like a year or two after you graduate? I think so. I actually don't know. I've tried to, tried to put it behind me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it changed, but it's definitely one year anyway. Right. I would 100% recommend yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that as well. It's class. And it provides you with challenges like that are just different to any other... Yeah, and uh, just like living sounds. in another country like, yeah. by yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it is. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, something we should do as a grad then? I think maybe um, I wish I kind of found a mentor. Right, something. okay, interesting. Because I actually, I had a guy, my creative director um, in Clickworks, Lee Douglas. He was a really good mentor to me. And actually I have a mentor now in the doc. But you, you kind of get a bit lost sometimes mm. without realizing it. And it's just really nice to have someone to just like, as a sounding board, even if they're doing a job that's completely unrelated to you. Yeah. Actually, sometimes that's better. Yeah. When they have a different perspective or they're doing something completely unrelated to you. Yeah. I think a mentor is really crucial because they kind of help you believe that you can do more than you ever thought you could. Sure. Like, obviously, that's the ideal mentor. Yeah. And so they kind of push you to go for things that maybe you wouldn't have initially mm. kind of considered. I am. Um, their, their experience is useful as well. I had a, a interaction or a meeting last week that I came out of pretty confused and, like, almost worried. Yeah. And then I talked to a mentor, and he kind of basically flipped the proposition yeah. and ended up being like an amazing opportunity. So it went from a really, what I perceived as a, a negative to yeah. an absolute positive. Yeah. And his experience allowed him to flip that. Exactly. I didn't have the experience to flip it sort of. Yeah. So the, the, it is, it's very, very useful in times that you don't even think they'd be able to add any value. Yeah. Or even if someone offers you a really good deal and you're like, is this too good to be true? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Worried. Yeah. Like even if you can kind of check it with them, be like, is this right? Like, is this normal? Yeah. Or like, um, okay, I've just been offered my first job. Like, they offered me X amount of salary. Like, what's what's the going rate? Yeah. Is it, are they ripping me off? Or like, is this... Yeah. Are they expecting more than I can give? What's going on here? So yeah. And even with things like that, it's really helpful, I think. There's an important thing, and that is to make sure that you're picking a mentor who has your best interests at heart and not, say, the yeah. companies or whatever it is. Because... Exactly that's where you can kind of get misled or, or almost used. So yeah, or like on a referral bonus or something. You're <laughs> yeah. like, ah, don't use me. Yeah, no, I think uh, I've Sorry. actually gotten a lot of value. Almost um, almost without realizing in the moment, but a lot of value over time from, from mentors. So yeah. lovely, yeah. And they're actually really hard to find. Like I have a great mentor now in the doc. He is like a business design director, Graham Nolan. And like the actual, the whole business design team actually have been really, really like great and supportive to me i can ask them like any questions and that's like the dream really that's yeah you yeah want. just an open environment ask them about anything and everything and so i think like if you don't have a mentor you might not realize at the time you might just be like oh yeah this is this is how it is but actually it's so much more helpful no yeah. you don't want to over depend on someone it's oh, not like you want to be not. bringing them every day but like no little monthly check-in or every couple of months even yeah. just just to have someone to yeah. kind of look out for you it I is think it's like useful. invaluable to be honest agreed yeah um a book that you would recommend people to read yeah so um i love all of roald dahl's books I think right he's amazing he has like ones for adults not just kids as well he, he does actually a, yeah a funny one my uncle oswald and uh, it's basically just like life chronicles and antics of this uncle he has and okay. i don't know if, the, if it's true or not but it's very good right okay um and he has a lot of like really good sh like short stories i think you could definitely learn yeah i like the short stories wrap things up based on like he can just get to the punchline yeah. straight away yeah he's so witty 
but then in terms of maybe like if you're looking for something if you have a career goal or whatever i think let my people go surfing is very good yeah by yvonne schoenar yeah legend yeah, i love that his name properly, yeah he, yvonne schoenar yeah i don't know if you guys know him but he is i've talked about him on the podcast i think before oh have you yeah yeah founder of patagonia yeah um, so the clothing kind of company which started off as like a mountaineering equipment company mm. but he was like um He's got some great insights on like how he got to become like a business guru in further commas, and he said like he had no training in business. He, he still like, doesn't call himself a businessman. He's like I'm not. I'm just a climber. He's That's like, his kind good. of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he he has really good life advice. But his company were one of the first to kind of publish like a, a company mission statement or a philosophy. Yeah. He let like his like employees bring their kids to work mm. he was one of the first people to do that he like, was way ahead hours. of all these people google etc who yeah are recognized as being leaders in this area he was the guy yeah. he was he, and i mean that in so many ways he's the man yeah like he really is yeah uh, so absolutely yvonne tuna and his best friend doug Tompkins founded north face and they had a very similar um kind of mo as well he died tragically kayaking in freezing waters and um southern patagonia a couple of years ago they both kayak together they used to um they and they bought they're billionaires they spend most of their money not some most like they would have they probably aren't billionaires anymore because they gave so much yeah they bought ridiculous amounts of land in south america and just put it gave it all to uh, conservation charities yeah because they're complete uh planetarians they're really really environmentalists yeah that's kind of what i mean like when you're saying like talking about like life advice or whatever they actually considered the impact that like each jacket would have yeah when it's being sold like they thought of such small details even down to like replacing a zip yeah like no one else was doing that yeah and if you need mountain gear or outdoors gear i encourage people to buy from patagonia because they are a company that are very very responsible with the money that you're giving them yeah and that's that's a very cool thing so that's probably a good life lesson um as well and lastly then is there a quote that you would uh, kind of live by or recommend there's a brilliant quote by Roald Dahl and it basically he talks about um, like basically if you want to go for anything in life you just have to go for it like you have to be like really passionate you can't be like lukewarm yeah you just have to go for it and um, I'll see if I can find it okay it's from one of his books actually I think it could be Uncle Oswald right <laughs> ironically and it says, um, listening to my father during those early years, I began to realize how important it was to be an enthusiast in life. He taught me that if you're interested in something, no matter what it is, go at it full speed ahead. Embrace it with both arms, hug it, love it, and above all, become passionate about it. Lukewarm is no good. Hot is no good either. White hot and passionate is the only thing to be. Hmm. That's very cool. It's quite a long one, but I really like it. No, it's brilliant. I love that. Well, that's a great note to end on. Thank you very much for that. That was very cool. Thanks um, for having me. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming along. Great. Thanks.